Welcome to the Classic City Sports Podcast. And McAllister down the left field line! You're looking for the latest Georgia Bulldog news in football, basketball, baseball, and recruiting, then you are in the right place. Then you are in the right place. It's third down. Bryce Young's career. You need 10. Play clock at four. From the pocket. Launching downfield. Underground and intercepted. Keely Ringo has an escort down the sidelines. Hosted by Jeremiah Stoddard and Jonathan Williams. Georgia on the mountaintop. Demons be gone and the drought is over. National champions at long last. Just sit back, relax, and prepare yourself for these hot takes you're about to listen to. Welcome back to another episode of Classic City Sports. As always, Jeremiah Stoddard, along with Jonathan Williams. We've got a good one for you. We are coming up on SEC Championship game, Georgia versus LSU, on Saturday on CBS at 4 p.m. Super excited about it. Georgia has gone through yet another 12-0 season. It's the first time in program history that we've gone 12-0, correct? Yep. Yeah, 12-0, or two years in a row, I mean. Um, back-to-back seasons, you go 12-0. Looks like a good position this year for Georgia. It's similar to last year going into the Alabama game in the SEC Championship game. You realize that even if something were to happen and you were to lose this game, you should be in the playoffs at this point. So you pretty much punch that ticket, especially still staying as the number one team in the nation up to this point. Uh, lots of other stuff to shake out throughout the uh, you know championship week. There's other questions that are going on, which we will get into in a little bit. So obviously we got to talk SEC Championship game today. We're going to talk a little bit about some speculation, certain comments that have been made about Georgia's defense over the past couple of days as well, going into the LSU game. And then we're going to talk about King of the Hill, which I don't know the topic. Once again, this seems to be a theme here. Jonathan just kind of just lets me get on the spot. So if I look stupid during that segment, it's because I didn't know what the heck that's, was going that's on. That's the goal. That's honestly. kind of the point, that's right? That's kind of the point. That's Make you, you look do. stupid so I look smart. <laughs> you know, it, it, there's some yeah. strategy to King of the Hill yeah. for myself. I'm going to come up the segment. I got to look the part. I got to look good doing it. So yeah, What's that? yeah, just going to use me as a stepping stone to look above everybody else. That's fine. Don't worry know about your it. role. All right. Know my know role. Your role. I'm fine with it. Don't worry about it. But anyways, we're going to jump straight into it. Um, I guess we'll start with, you know, we got the game coming up this Saturday. LSU is a nine and three team. Um, so not exactly your normal opponent that you get in the SEC championship game. Fun fact. And I, we were talking about this. Was it earlier today? The, uh, I think it was this morning. It was this morning. No conference championship has a team that doesn't have at least three losses in there. There's, you know, Michigan's playing against Purdue as a four-loss team. Uh, North Carolina is playing um, Clemson. against Clemson, and North Carolina's got three losses. Yep. And uh, Georgia's playing LSU, three losses. Kansas State. And Kansas TCU. State and TCU. Kansas USC State has three Utah. losses. Utah I mean, has three losses. Yeah, so Everyone's got three losses. But bring on the 12-team playoff, please. Please, go ahead and bring it on. You know, we need why it, not? clearly. No, the reason people want the 12-team playoff, and we'll get into the playoff talk again in a minute anyways, but 
they just want to be able to throw your teams like Clemson back into it. They want like that's that's the whole thing, right? Like everyone thinks that Clemson should be in it. They would be in a twelve team playoff. Yeah. Alabama you know would what? be in it. Tennessee would get to make it. Yeah, and I've had I mean I've I've had an issue with all these people saying like just the ignorance that people have to say, well, the only team that could probably challenge Georgia is Alabama. What like what has Alabama done in all this season for they anyone? Lost to Tennessee, which Georgia beat by two touchdowns. For anyone to think that Bama is the best chance to beat Georgia, I have no they idea. Lost to LSU. Georgia no plays idea. LSU on Saturday. I have no idea who has the best chance to beat Georgia. Maybe we'll find that out in the playoff or this. Maybe even this Saturday we'll find that out. But what's Alabama's best win? Okay, you beat Ole Miss, who just who just lost to Mississippi State. They ended the season on a real low note. That's they your lost what best four games win now? of the Didn't season. They go eight and four. Yeah, I, yes, yes, they did. So that's your best yeah, that's win. That's a great win. What And if anything, this has been one of the most problematic Saban-Bama teams that we've seen in a long time. Like, wide receivers have not been there. Defense definitely has not been what it's looked like. I mean, heck, we haven't even heard Will Anderson's name all that much this year. Like, I haven't at, at least. No, not like Not to the level that we have for the past two seasons about him. That should say a lot about where Alabama's defense is. For people to just be throwing out, they're like, oh, well, Bama's the only team that has a shot at defeating Georgia. Like, no, I I would strongly disagree with that. That's just Bama fans. That's, yeah. And maybe, they haven't but been I don't able think to it's accept just the Bama fact. fans saying it. That's the problem. Well, I guess it's it, just that we're groomed to think that is that, that Bama would be able to challenge them. What yeah. makes Bama like so good this year, right? They've lost these games that we've talked about right now. They don't have any big key victories at this point in time. So, no, I don't think that Bama – like, I mean, yeah, Bama's not a terrible team. So do I think they could go out there and, and play a four-quarter game with Georgia? Yeah, they could probably do that. Do I think Georgia would win? Right now, I do think Georgia would yeah. win that game. I, I think Georgia could what's be anybody thing, on any given Saturday right now. What's been the only thing that's ever given Georgia issues when playing Alabama? It's been the wide receivers, and they ain't got that this year. So, anyways, I don't mean to go on this tangent about I think they Alabama. have three guys at wide receiver this, currently in the transfer portal right now. They have – this is the week of conference champions, and Alabama's not in that discussion. So, so they, they don't deserve the highlight or the spotlight right now. So, we're going to move forward with Georgia and LSU. And one thing that's important to note is that this week – um, Jane Daniels has been dealing with a foot injury. He was an in ankle, walking I think, boot, right? Something. Yeah, they. Brian Kelly said it's not a high ankle sprain, is what he said. So he's not dealing with that. But he, he was, is expected to play. Yes, he is expected to play. But he was in a walking boot on Sunday, and they were optimistic about him being able to practice throughout the week. So while he is going to play, he will be out there. He will be under center for the Tigers. It's something to watch for definitely on Saturday. Also knowing that LSU has given up 41 sacks this season, which ranks 122nd in the nation. They're averaging almost four per game. That's a lot of hits for a guy to take. He takes off and runs with it a lot. So if he's running on a bum ankle, definitely something to watch for um, in the SEC championship game. And then also because their backup quarterback, which is his last name is Nussmeyer, I want to say. He's a redshirt freshman. He's appeared in five games this year, thrown for like 333 yards. So definitely a big drop-off compared to what Daniels brings to the offense compared to what the other guy would bring. So if he is playing on a bum ankle, definitely could develop into an issue later on in the game. Well, it could, make him, it could definitely play into Georgia's favor at that point because all it takes is a couple of hits on your quarterback, and all of a sudden that ankle may not feel so great anymore. And so what that does is even if he can still like, – I'm not saying Georgia's going to go out there looking to hurt him or anything like that, obviously. It's not how Georgia plays football. But what it does is George is going to hit you a couple times if you scramble with it, which is what he wants to do, right? Yeah. Like he wants to make some extra plays with his feet. For sure. Um, but, I, I mean, he literally leads their team in rushing yards. I mean, the dude's got 824 yards rushing. Holy crap. Yeah. I didn't realize that until I started looking over. Like I haven't paid that much attention to, to LSU this season overall. 
um, I was until Georgia was officially going to play them a couple weeks ago. 800 yards rushing from your quarterback. He he runs the ball a lot. He runs it very effectively. But what that does, it means he's going to take some hits on Saturday. Yeah, and, and I, if he's dealing with issues, you hit him a couple times, and all of a sudden he's stuck in that pocket. He can't get out. Yeah, and I actually have a stat that I just pulled up that actually correlates with because I wanted to see because Georgia's played several quarterbacks this season that have been dual threat quarterbacks. They like to run the ball. You know, Robbie Ashford for Auburn, Anthony Richardson for Florida, and Hendon Hooker for Tennessee also like to run the ball a lot. I know he did a lot of damage with his arm this season for the Volunteers, but he also ran the ball a lot, and there was a lot of design runs that Tennessee implemented to their offense. So I just kind of wanted to go back and check on to see how did Georgia fare in those games. And they they handled all three of those guys really, really well. I mean, really, really well. Just looking back at it, you know, Ashford for Auburn ran for 710 yards this season. Against Georgia, he had 53 yards, averaged five-point yards per carry, but he also went 13 for 38 passing. So you handled him in both aspects of the game there. You go down to Anthony Richardson. We know what Anthony Richardson can do. He's a physical runner. He loves to run the football. People want to compare him to Cam Newton because he has that type of build. He's big. He's strong. He's physical. Well, against Georgia, he had 19 yards on 11 attempts and completed just 48% of his passes. So, again, another example of Georgia being able to handle another dual threat quarterback. And then you go down to Hendon Hooker. And this one was really surprising to me. Well, not really because Georgia dominated that game so much, but the guy – he had 17 yards on 18 attempts. And this is a guy that ran for 430 yards this season on, 130, on 103 total attempts. So three different examples of Georgia showing the ability to shut down dual threat quarterbacks. Because I feel like there's this – people kind of assume like, oh, well, dual threat quarterbacks are what gives Georgia the biggest str- – like is what Georgia struggles with. Because that's what they've struggled with in years past. You know, you think back – and the SEC championship game in 2018, Jalen Hurts came in. He really killed them with his feet. And then the other years past, rushing quarterbacks have kind of been the, the part of an offense that gives Georgia fits. But not this year. They've really kind of put that to bed, and they've shown that we have no issues dealing with that. We know how to scheme it up. And the linebackers take care of business, like Roots was saying in the comments. Jamon Dumas-Johnson has, has played a huge role for Georgia, and then even the edge rushers and defensive tackles and whatnot. So I don't think Jane Daniels' legs, especially on a bum ankle, is anything to really worry about for Georgia. No, I mean, it's something – like, don't get me wrong – Georgia does play very well against the guy, the guys of that stature, right? The guys that play that type of it. What they do is, and, and Roots has a good point in there. He's talking about the outside linebackers of Georgia, maybe you know, not necessarily being as as good as we've seen in the past, like couple of years. And that's a fair comment to make For in sure. the sense that you, you're kind of worried about a guy like that in a game like this, where you've got those outside linebackers are key. And the reason for that is right now you don't have Nolan Smith. And so that makes a huge difference because he was he was great at sealing the edge against guys like this. So you need somebody to step up on that outside to really be able to keep the quarterback contained. But the thing is, Georgia has done so well against teams that do that, mm-hmm. and they've almost neutralized it. Like what you just broke down all of it. I'm not going to reiterate necessarily what you just said, but you got to go into this game knowing that you are able to make them one-dimensional because that is what you've done in the past. So if you can make him stay, especially when you've got a guy with a bum leg right now, Couple of hits, and all of a sudden they're going to stop designing those. But my point, what I was getting at with this is, they are like I wouldn't be surprised to see him break for a 15, 20 yard run at some point in time during the game, and that's not something to panic about because that means they're focusing on something else at the time. They're say if if that starts to happen, if he, if it happens a couple of times, that's Georgia saying, I mean, beat us in the air. Then mm-hmm. we'll, we'll give you we'll give you the occasional scramble. You might convert a second or third and long because you scramble 
but we're trying to make you beat us in the air. And right now, Jaden Daniels, I mean, he's only got 2,500 yards passing on the season. Um, Stetson's got over 3,000. And, and Stetson hasn't been known as a guy to throw for like that over – like last year he ended with, what, 2,900 total yeah, right and through 15 it. games? Yeah, right at it. Well, I mean, he had some – he wasn't starting 100%. But you get my point. Uh, through like 14 games he played in last year. Um, point being, he's not exactly lighting everything up through the air. So if you can make him sit in the pocket and try to pick you apart, then that's that's going to be your best bet. If you can make sure he stays put, then you have a great chance at Georgia to keep them you know, from scoring a lot, and, and you have a lot of control over the game. Now, one thing that you do have to pay attention to, and we were texting about this earlier with uh, with Dan and Harrison, um, Georgia's outside you know, corners, they do get thrown out a good bit. That's where teams target us. That's where, when, against Tennessee, they, they missed them, but there were like three or four attempts where they might have had a receiver down the field and Hendon Hooker didn't have enough time. He had somebody in his face, and he would overthrow the guy or something like that. But it was always to the outside corners. It was either Kamari Laster or uh, Keely Ringo, one or the other. And I think that happens because that's the only place where you can beat Georgia. You're not going to beat them in between the tackles. They shut down the run. You can't run up the gut. You're not going to beat them there. The linebackers are too good. They cover too much space over the middle, and they're too disciplined in their gaps and in their spots and zone or wherever they need to be, where you can't beat them over the middle. And then Christopher Smith and Malachi Starks have both shown the ability to cover the middle of the field. You can't beat them over the top there. So the only place, the only spot on the field where you have the ability to maybe beat Georgia defensively is down the boundaries. And that's just because cornerback is such a hard position to play. You're going to get beat eventually. I don't care how good you are, how technically sound you are, how elite you are. You're going to get beat eventually. You just have too many reps within a game, and it's too hard to play that position for you not to get beat eventually. So, yeah. That's where teams are going to go at them because that's the only place you can beat Georgia right now. That's the only spot where any team has had success against Georgia. Florida had a big play. Several teams have hit big plays against Georgia down the boundaries because that's the only always. spot where you can It's always down them. the sidelines. There's been – we were talking about this part. Like I can remember maybe one or two plays where they got kind of beat down the scene. You know, Maybe you get a tight end down the middle. Like Against Georgia Tech, they had a tight end right down the middle. Dude dropped the ball, but they were right down the middle. Not even That was in between the seams, like right in between the hashes. Um, and he got you there, but the guy dropped the ball, so it was an irrelevant thing at that point. It didn't show up in the stat line, but if you watched the game, you saw that. That's few and far between. They did beat Georgia. Georgia Tech did beat Georgia down the, the outside. Fun fact on that, it actually wasn't Keely Ringo or Kamar Lasseter, though. They got Javon Buller. Yeah, Javon was getting picked on a good bit. But that was the weird thing about what Georgia Tech was doing, and I think this is something that if I were LSU and I watched that game, or I, if I was a coach and I saw it, this is what I realized is, they lined up in certain ways that forced – or maybe it was just because Georgia was running man coverage or whatever it was, which Georgia likes to run man coverage a good bit. They do very well in that. So that's what their kind of forte has been over the past several seasons with Kirby Smart is basically running man coverage. And then your zone stuff is you know where you need it, obviously. But, but that man coverage part is huge for Georgia. And what it did is it forced – him to take number eight, McCullen, I think is what, what his name is, who is actually in the transfer portal right now. Um, from Georgia Tech, beat him out on the outside. He kind of ran like a little bit of a wheel route kind of thing. Started inside, ran to the outside, and just straight down the like the boundary. Beat him for thirty yards or something like that, whatever it was. So they forced him to cover downfield, which is not what Javon's known to do. He's not that guy. He's he plays in the box. He's kind of, he's playing the star position and he's playing in the box. He's not. You don't want him running the field with somebody. 
they game plan something up. And that was early in that football game when Georgia Tech was actually looking. That was the first drive. They had things set up for Georgia in that first drive, especially. It, it, what everybody says, right? The offensive coordinator has um, – they, they've got their plays called before they even start the game in that first drive. They, it's, they've already got it scheduled. They know exactly what plays they're running in that first drive. And they did it. They picked on Ballard in that play. They made him run with the wide receiver downfield. That's not what you want to do if you're Georgia. So you want to try to avoid that type of situation. If I'm LSU – I'm looking for that look again against Georgia. Yeah, and the interesting thing about Jaden Daniels is he likes to scramble, and he lo- and he likes getting outside of the pocket, and he almost likes some chaos within the pocket because if you take a look at his stats, I saw it on Twitter. I cannot remember who tweeted it, but they put it out there. Jaden Daniels throws better when he's a- going against the so Blitz. Weird. When teams blitz him, he's better statistically as a passer compared to a clean pocket, no blitz, and his numbers actually take a – drop off or they drop off a little bit when the teams don't blitz against him. So that kind of shows you that he feels most, most comfortable when he is forced to be an athlete and use his legs and just make a play and extend plays and look downfield and find a guy. That's when he plays best. But when he is forced to sit in the pocket, analyze the field, and kind of put some mental thought into where like where the windows are, put some timing on it, that's where he struggles. So it almost might be better for Georgia just to kind of contain him. You don't necessarily have to get to the quarterback – but just keep him within the pocket. Don't allow him to run all over the field and beat you from this platform, this platform, all over the field. Keep him inside the pocket, inside the hashes, and you might be fare better off there than you would as getting after him, forcing him out, and trying to get and letting him beat you with his legs. So that'll be interesting to see if that's if they take that type of game plan, if that's how they see this game going, if that's how they want to defend him. I'm not sure, but I think Georgia's going to be fine either way. And Dan, you're exactly right. I want to go back to that comment about Starks. He is he's a big I've reason why Georgia has not had a drop off this year on defensively. It's why they're the number one scoring defense for the second year in a row. And it's because we t- everybody wanted to look at the guys that Georgia lost to the draft this past year. Linebackers were a big one. Jamon Dumas Johnson, Samal Mondon, those guys have really filled on those shoes. But what Malachi Starks has done as a true freshman back there filling into what Lewis Seen used to be. Malachi Starks played a huge role against Tennessee. He was one of the best open field ta- – like one of the best performances I've ever seen from a safety in regards to tackling in the open field and getting guys down on the ground. He was just all over the field. He made plays, and he has the freedom to do that as a true freshman. It's kind of like this – how we we sit there and talk about Brock Bowers. Like last year, we were like, man, we still have two more years of this guy. You still have two more years of Malachi Starks after that, and he's only going to get better, and he's only going to help your defense more. And he's been a huge contributor for Georgia this year, and it's what allows him to play so much man coverage and remain comfortable in there because you can rely on him to be such a factor in the backfield. So I'll say this, Dan, your follow-up right there, you said, I remember being laughed at saying that he'd start as a freshman. I don't like. I didn't think he would be a starter necessarily, I, I did think he would be an early contributor. I did think he would play a lot. And I think what transitioned him to a full starter was the fact that you have Dan Jackson go down early in the season. For and sure. so that may, that makes it to where you, you have to put him in more than you expected to. So I don't know if he would have started so early in the season. Now, by the end of the season at this point in time, do I think he still would be your starter? Yes, I really do. Um but going into the season, I did expect him to play a lot early because he was he was the one freshman coming in that you did. Most people, well, not most people, but a, a, like you know, I know we talked to Brooks and different things like that. He was one that would say that Malachi would be a guy to be an early contributor on this just football too good team. Of an athlete. He's just an athlete. He, he, you got to put him on the field some way, somehow. 
Um, so I think that he's definitely emerging. It's been a beautiful thing to see, especially, like I said, with Dan Jackson going down. You really needed somebody yep. to step up. Dan had the experience. Starks has the just, just straight another, up talent. I mean, the dude another, is just an athlete. It's just another example of injuries not impact hindering Georgia's success on both sides of the ball. That was a huge thing last year as to why they were able to go on a national title run. Everybody wanted to talk about Alabama's injuries. Georgia had a lot of injuries that they had to go through last year as well. They're doing it again this year with Adonai Mitchell. I know the wide receivers haven't been what people probably hoped they would be this year, but they've still done a pretty dang good job of filling in those voids and at least still being pretty productive when they need them to be, even without just our X wide receiver and A.D. Mitchell. And then this year, I know Dan Jackson is not your typical every down starter. He was mostly playing in dime packages for Georgia back there. But yet again, you throw in a true freshman at safety, and there's no drop-off. Like, sure, he might have his freshman moments every now and then like everybody does. He might go through those growing pains. He's had a couple of plays where he tried to jump a route and he ended yeah. up giving up a but pass because time, he jumped the route. You're not going to tell a guy like Malachi, like, don't go try and make a play on the ball. Because the two plays that I have that. off the top of my head where he did that, dude's this close to picking the ball off. Yeah. And, and like he is inches, You're inches not away. You're going to sit him down and say, like, "Quit being an athlete, dude." Just, the big one that everyone there. would know is the one against Florida, where it ended up being a huge touchdown play. I think it was a fifty or sixty yard touchdown play because he tried to jump the route, and he, I mean, if you watch the play, you thought he about picked it off, and all of a sudden you it see it took the, a perfect throw. It was, it was a good throw. It was right where it needed to be. At that be. point, you clap it up and you say, "Good throw," because if if it takes a perfect throw for them to make that play. Give them, give them their claps, applaud them, whatever. Because if in that's a game what it takes like to that beat you, too, then you'll take that. That's fine. In a game like that, too, you you can accept that, right? You can go, all right, you know what? We gave them a touchdown there. We're expected to win this by a large margin. We're going to win this game by a large margin. So it's okay. We can let them have that because you you tried to make an instinctual play and you were two inches away from making said play. I want you to do that every time against a team like Florida. When you have to be careful in what Kirby Smart probably told him was, and I think I talked about this before, was if you're in a big game, it's an SEC championship game, it's it's a playoff game, maybe you want to play the person more than the ball in that situation to make sure. Because you may not have seven points to spot the other team. But in a game like Florida, every single time I want you trying to do that. Every single time I want you trying to make that play. And I won't get mad at you for it at all. Yeah, I mean, he's shown an ability to make a play on the ball anyways. He's made – he made that incredible interception in his first game as a Bulldog all the way back in week one against Oregon. A beautiful so, yeah, interception. You're not going to oh tell gosh. him to cut back on that and just quit being an athlete and just to be like a robot out there and just do what you're probably supposed be to do. Be instinctual. You know somebody yeah. like uh, Richard the Count was super instinctual as well. But yeah, he also would get, instinctual. He would get beat at times. <laughs> he would get beat at times because he was being instinctual. You don't tell a football player like that to not do that. Yeah. You just don't. Like that's how he's going to make his money. I promise you he is going to go very far in his career because he plays instinctual football and he will do that. He will pick that ball off in the future. He will intercept that ball and he will take that ball would have been a pick six. Had he gotten it, he was gone. Nobody was going to be in front of him on that play. And at that time, all of a sudden it's a different conversation because he, you know, was two inches close. You'd never tell a player like that not to be instinctual like that. But that's one of those things that, like you said a second ago, it's just another example of Georgia having injuries, Georgia having these these adversity moments, right? These adverse moments where they go, shoot, we got to go to our, our true freshman. Our true freshman just takes over and lights it up. I mean, last year you had Brock Bowers absolutely leading. I mean, he he almost had 1,000 yards. He was close to a 1,000-yard receiver as a tight end. He would have been only the second player in Georgia football history to have a 1,000-yard receiver. He was a finalist for the Bolitnikoff this year. He was. <laughs> 
And and then you have Lad McConkey, who played a huge role last year, made several huge plays as a freshman. I think he wasn't a true freshman, but he freshman. was a redshirt freshman. And then you had Keely Ringo, who intercepted, had a pick six in the national championship game, and solidified his name into like the Georgia elite moments forever. forever. Everyone will always think about this national championship and, and think about Keely Ringo from here on. That's a freshman making a play in a in the biggest of moments. And so you got Malachi Starks right now going into his freshman season or the end of his freshman season in these huge, bright moments. And I expect him to be able to take that light as well, just like everybody else has. And they've been able to make those plays. Georgia's defense has taken a little bit of a slower step than they have, but they're still leading the nation in scoring defense for the second straight year. But with that, right, you got freshmen stepping up on that side. We've talked a lot about this defense, and there's been a lot of it offensively against LSU. One thing that really, really stuck out to me, and I talked to you about this prior to coming on the show, I, I know that everybody wants Georgia to go out there and air it out, go have you know sets and throw for close to 300 or 300 yards and, and have a good game. And I, I would love to see that as well. At the end of the day, Kirby's Kirby. what we know Kirby to do is he doesn't care what fans want to see. He wants to go into this game and he wants to walk away holding up the SEC championship trophy and just winning the game based on what's going to work for him. One thing that stuck out to me when I was looking over LSU's team, uh, at their defensive side of things, two of the three teams that have beat them have ran for 260-plus yards. Texas A&M ran for 274, and Tennessee ran for 262, I think, something of that of that range. Georgia's going to have a run-heavy offense, in my opinion, this week. You're going to see running backs get a lot of carries, like they have in the past couple of weeks. I think Georgia's – maybe that's what Georgia's been thinking – you know, Kirby, Kirby never says he's he's looking ahead, and he's always looking at the next opponent. The last two opponents, Georgia has ran the ball for 200 yards, right? Both games, 200-plus yep. yards, yep. and he's run very heavy, and he things haven't looked incredible on offense overall, but you ran the ball so well that the first two times this season that Stetson Bennett hasn't thrown the ball at least 30 times, and he only threw the ball 18 and 19 times in the last two weeks. You could see that again this week. Kirby, Kirby does not care to try to go and throw the ball for 300-plus yards. You probably won't see Stetson throw the ball 20, 30 times this week. Well, and it's like we said last week is Georgia's just in win-now mode. There's, there's, there is no longer a need for you to go out there and post up 40 points just because – just to maybe make your team look more appealing to a committee or anything like that. It doesn't at, matter anymore. At this point, it's just whatever you got to do to win, and especially considering that you already know that you – like there's a 99.9% chance you make the playoffs regardless of what happens on Saturday. There's no need to risk anything. Play it safe if you want to. Try and keep guys healthy. That's all you're really wanting to do with the playoffs about a month out from now. So if that's what Kirby Smart wants to do, then, yeah, that's what he's going to do. And especially if Georgia's having so much success on the ground early in the game and they're able to just chew the clock and that's what they're need. That's what they able to do to go get a win, then, yeah, that's what they're going to go do for sure. And especially with how well Kenny McIntosh has been playing, you can't, you can't hate on him for wanting to do that because Kenny McIntosh has had 50% of his season total yards in the last four games. He's been on a tear over the He's last few weeks. He's doing very well. Kendall Milton has looked really good over these last stretch of games as well, coming back from his injury. Dejon Edwards continues to impress. So if your offensive line is doing their job, if your running backs are picking up four to five yards or whatever per carry, then yeah, why not just kill the clock, eat up time of possession, and get the heck out of there, get an SEC title, lock up the number one seed, and go 13-0 into the college football playoff with another home game in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, pretty much another home game. So, yeah, why wouldn't you do that if you could? If that's going to happen, I'm not sure. You know, who knows? Maybe you do end up throwing out there. Maybe 
Maybe Brock Bowers has one of his career games. He had a huge game last year in the SEC Championship for Georgia against Alabama. Even though the result wasn't what you wanted it to be, he still had a huge game. Maybe he has one of those. Brooks Austin was kind of highlighting that he could potentially have a huge game against LSU just kind of based on how they play teams defensively and whatnot. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with that is that if that's what teams have done to be successful against LSU, then Georgia's probably going to do the same because Georgia can probably do it better than those teams did. They definitely can. Georgia has – I think Georgia can have a better rushing offense than both Tennessee and Texas A&M. Um, I think that that's something that they will key in on. And you're right about Brock Bowers, but something that's fun to point out about him, right? Everyone might look at him and go, he doesn't seem like he's having as good of a season as he well, did last year. he's only had 98 yards in the last four games. He's only had 98 yards in the last four games, and he's only, what, like 15 – or so yards less than he had at this time last year. Well, he put up like 115 in the ACC championship yes. game last year, and then like 60 and 70 in the national title and semi-final yes. game. So, yeah. He ended up with 900 yards, didn't he? Like total, mm-hmm. or 800. Yeah, like 962 or something like that. I don't, yeah, it was something up in that range. So, my point being is he is having just as good of a season as last year, and this is when he turned it on. That's this crazy. is when Georgia looked to him worry about in Brock big games. Powers. Brock Bowers is where he's supposed to be this season based on what he's done in the in the past, and he could still get you. You know, you got three games. He needs 300 and I think 345 yards uh, or 355 yards to get know. to a 1,000-yard mark. I'm not saying by. he's going to get there, but I'm just pointing out the fact that, like, he's he's where he was last year. And all he is is two good game, two big games, and one okay game away from being able to get close to something like that again, and being where he was last year offensively for Georgia. And like you said, he could have a big game against LSU this week, based on the way the He's LSU, for sure, based on the way the LSU lines you up and tries to play. Uh, one key player that they just need to focus on is is number forty. Kendrick is it Kendrick Perkins? Harold Perkins. Harold Perkins, not Kendrick Perkins. Harold. That, 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 that's the player that you would highlight, oddly enough, because, you know, you go look at the stat sheet and he's third in the SEC for sacks right now. Yeah. So it's odd, oddly enough that's the person you say to highlight. But there's a reason why, and I'll yes. let you continue. He's, he's, a, he's a freshman, but the dude is – he's a, incredible. I mean, he is he is somebody that is going to try to – he's going to be trying to <laughs> rush the passer. Pretty much single-handedly beat Arkansas for that. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. And, and so he's the guy that you're going to want to make sure that, you know, you're tied in. Um, and your your tackles are ready to to make sure they keep them out of the backfield. Or in a game like this where George is going to be running the ball a good bit, in my opinion, that you you kind of utilize his – he's trying to pass rush and you kind of get him out of position and you run right in between where he's – you know, he's going to be going outside on the pass rush and just split, you know, zone maybe right in between there or something of that nature and or maybe try to do the counter um, and see what happens there as well. But y- you'll see what happens on that. That's the player to watch defensively for LSU, and I think Georgia – has shown you that they can they can really stop the elite edge rushers in college football in big games, right? Will For Anderson sure. got real quiet against Georgia. Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson got real quiet against Ojabu Georgia. for Michigan as well that game. Yep. Both of them are really quiet. Yeah, and Georgia does a really good job. Their left tackles and, and right tackles have done an incredible job at stopping those guys. And so I don't think that – I think he, he'll probably make a play or two. Don't get me wrong but I don't think he's going to have the impact that he's been able to have, like you said, against teams like Arkansas, Mm -hmm. where he really almost single-handedly wins you those games. Um, But I think that that's something that's an important thing to note on there. But I know you wanted to talk about, you know, Georgia's defense and certain things that have been talked about. We talked about Georgia's defense a good bit, but I want to open the floor back to you to to get into what you want to talk about. Real quick, because we're running up on 30 minutes right now. We still got to do King of the Hill as well. So I'm just going to hit on it real quick. 
and basically I'm not going to spew out any names or anything like that. I'm not here to slander anybody's name or bury them into the dirt, but I, there was this clip posted on Twitter and it was made by an ESPN analyst, a guy that works for ESPN, very well known in the SEC community. And he just kind of went on to say that Georgia stacked up against the field for the playoff field he was talking about. He would take the field as opposed to taking Georgia to go win the title. And his reason being was because he highlighted that teams like TCU and USC are going to spread you out offensively. And if you add in a quarterback that can run, i.e. Caleb Williams and TCU's quarterback, both of them can run, then you have the ability to kind of neutralize what Georgia has on defense. And I disagreed with that take because of – Georgia's already went through that. They played the number one scoring offense in college football, and they it's an offense that in Tennessee, an offense that spreads it out. I mean, spreads it wide out. They you can't even see them on the you can't even see their t- the receivers on the TV half the time because they're so freaking spread out so much. So they did that. They and Hendon Hooker, who I said earlier likes to run the football a lot and had 17 yards on 18 attempts, and they shut down that offense. So Georgia's been through that, and to, so I just disagreed that. It, for him to boil down Georgia's defense, who, by the way, again, is the number one scoring defense for the second year in a row after the regular season has finished up, that you can just boil it down to them just saying, like, oh, we'll spread it out, yeah, and a quarterback that can run. That negates everything that they have on defense. And then he also went on to say that Georgia doesn't have, like, a guy back in the secondary. An eraser. An eraser is what he said, yes, yeah. an eraser. You got Christopher Smith, who's a finalist for the Nagurski Award, for crying out loud. <laughs> I call that an eraser, and we already talked about Malachi Starks. And what he True freshman do. All-American. I just I just did not like how he – like we're talking about the best defense in college football right now. They've been on one of the most dominant runs that we have seen a defense do after losing eight starters to the NFL. That's the kind of legacy that we're talking about this defense is leaving behind currently. And just for to say that you can boil it down to spread them out and, and at a quarterback and run, that's how you beat them. I don't think it's that simple because if it was that simple, someone Georgia would have already beat them already. by now. Yeah. Someone would have put up 50 points on their head if it was that simple. Tennessee would have done that to them if it Tennessee truly was, the was team that simple. And it, he was like, oh, you know, they got some guys like Jalen Carter up front. If you can find a way to beat them, if you can find a way to beat their line. Yeah, if. If you can find a way to Bunch beat Jalen Carter. That's the biggest thing is that it's if you can do has, that. Has anyone in college football no. figured out how to beat Jalen Carter? And that's why I had the Jalen Carter throws people around like ragdolls on why, that front line. That's why I had the issue with it because we're – like playing the what if just, game. Well, just to negate on, man. Georgia's defense like that, as if they're not anything special. They have earned the right to be called special. They have done every, against all odds something that has never been done in college football for a team to be this dominant after losing 15 players in the NFL, the most in college football history, the biggest draft class in NFL history, to go undefeated, be the number one seed going into the college football playoff potentially, and the favorites right now to win a national title. Never been done before. Nobody. You go back and look at the teams that had so many players drafted, all of them, two losses the next season, didn't win their division, couldn't get to the conference title, didn't make the playoffs, etc. Georgia's the first team to do this. So I just didn't like how he kind of simmered down what Georgia's defense has done this year and that it's just as simple as spread them out and you can beat them. So that's all I had to say about that. A little rant from me. I think it's one of those things that you get a guy, a lot of guys. I mean, think about prior to the Tennessee game. How many ESPN people and all the other guys out there, like all the analysts of what type of different companies and everything like that came out and talking about, like everyone was saying Tennessee's about to just make Georgia look stupid. Yeah, Everybody was saying stuff like that. And they're, they're trying to be ahead of the game, right? They're trying to say – Goliath goes down before somebody else says Goliath goes down. And so that way, if it were to happen, they get to be ahead of everything 
on there. But the thing is, if you really watch Georgia every single week, and I think that's the problem, and I'm not getting at play, uh, guys like him, right, saying that they should be watching Georgia's every single game, every single play. They can't. They, they, they cover the sport on like a wider level than you and I do, where we watch Georgia every single game. We watch the games back. We, we've studied things on it. So we see a lot more. So guys like him are going to have to look at things a little bit more on like a surface level. And so when they do that, they come out and they make statements like this. But also when you're going to make statements like that, you better be able to defend it. And I don't think he, he, he wasn't able to defend it. No, he, 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 was he was not able to defend it. He was not having it either. So. He wasn't. He was a little bit in his feelings about being called out on certain things, and that was kind of funny to what me. Calling personally. Him out, I was just saying, no, I, you didn't I even didn't tag agree. him. Yeah, didn't even tag him. You just, just commented on didn't it. Didn't agree, yeah. and I wanted to show him why I didn't agree. But anyways, enough on But that. it was funny. It was funny to before we get into the King of Hill, because this kind of transfers into this as well. You talked about him saying he would take the field over Georgia. Let's talk about the field for a second. Right. We got a couple minutes. You can do it right quick because we got a couple minutes. We got a couple. Oh, I don't know what King of the Hill is. That's yeah, fair. I, I don't know. We're going to take a little while. Real off. quick, let's talk about the field, right? Everyone's talking about how you know you got Ohio State sitting at five, you got Alabama sitting at six. Which I'm here to tell everybody, I don't see a scenario where Alabama has a chance to make the playoffs right now, even with them at six. I think that's the message they sent by putting them at six. Well, they put them at six, and it, all I did is they jumped them ahead of a couple people, and it gave them. Hope that they have a chance for some chaos to happen. I'm here to tell you that if Georgia, TCU, and Michigan have not already punched their ticket into the the playoffs prior to championship week, it, it shouldn't matter what happens this Saturday. I think the only thing that makes a question is USC on Saturday. If USC were to lose, that puts one open spot in the playoffs for this you know this season. And that's Ohio State. At yeah, this point, it's going to be Ohio State that slips in. It will not be a two-loss Alabama that lost to Tennessee and that lost to LSU, yeah. who have now both have pretty bad losses on their schedule as well. They have not looked near as good. You can't put Alabama in over Ohio State at that point. Yeah, Ohio State got boat raced, and they lost by 22 at home to Michigan. I understand that. But my point being, if TCU loses – what makes you think that TCU should get punished for playing in a conference championship game when Ohio State doesn't play in a conference championship? They don't have to play this week. The The playoff committee has shown you that they think the top four teams are who they are based on what's happened in the regular season. So punishing a team for playing in their conference championship when they don't have any losses at all and putting somebody they else have, in, they have one of the, stupid. They have one of the hardest strength of schedules in the nation right now as well, TCU does. So to say that they haven't played anybody, you could say what you want, but – Strength of schedule says otherwise. They have been battle tested. Those games have been close. They've had, had some seven, close games, for sure. But like we we said this about Georgia, all that matters is that you get a W in in the column. You just got to add W's upon W's. You're officially has done. Officially at win and move on mode. You know, and I think was, that those three teams, though, I think Georgia, Michigan, and and TCU have allowed them the chance to go into this this game and say. We could lose, and it does not matter. Yeah, TCU just can't let it get ugly. That's what you can do. You can't. I mean, can they? Ohio State lost no, by 22 no, 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 at no, no, home. No. Let me finish. Is that I'm not saying that they would at that point they would be taken out. I'm not saying that if they were, to but get, they create an argument. Yes, for the all other of a person. You, to, yeah, you crack that door open a little more. Just just an, adds another reason for them to kind of consider Ohio State a little bit more, especially if USC were to win. So they're they're automatically now. If you crack that door open even just a little bit more and you give them any type of reason, maybe to throw in C.J. Stroud and Ohio State, maybe you get the Ohio State-Michigan rematch or whatever else, that's what you can't do. So that's the only thing TCU can't do. But other than that, I think they'll be in. I think they're fine. They've earned their right to be in the playoff. So 
that's all I have to say about that. We'll definitely get into more about this. We'll talk matchups. I'm interested to see who Georgia Next will be matched week, up against. We will know. For sure. I'm this also, weekend shakes this everything. Is what I'm out. really interested to see is how USC plays against Utah because Utah, you know, I know it was week one, but they lost to Florida. Florida really struggled this year. They didn't have the as great. Well, yeah, you Utah's the one team that has beaten USC this and season, they, and they beat them by saying. one point. And that's what I'm saying. So Utah it is their chance. USC. So I'm interested to see how USC looks now. And, you know, it, all it takes really for USC is if Caleb Williams is going to be Caleb Williams, then it's, it, they're a really tough team to beat. So I'll, Pac-12 championship is one that is definitely going to Got to watch that game. What time is that game on Saturday? Probably freaking midnight. Who knows? <laughs> midnight madness, whatever. It's got to be the late game. It's definitely got to be the late game. Has to be the late game. All right. But it'll be fun. It's a good Saturday. 40 minutes and we're getting into King of the Hill. Let's do it. I don't know what it is. This is the topic that I don't want to, I don't want the people to get after me for looking ahead too much or saying that it's all said and done, it's locked in, whatever else. But the question I want to pose to you is we know how impressive Georgia's national title win last year. It was very impressive. You know, talked about one of the greatest teams in college football history. But how would you say that if Georgia were to go back to back this year, Georgia wins another title, second in a row, first team to ever do it in college football playoff history? Which well, they one? play Friday? Oh, there you go. They play on Friday. Anyways, thank you for the update in the comments. <laughs> Friday? So, would you say Georgia winning back-to-back titles this year, would you say them winning a national title this year is more impressive than their national title last year? Go. Yeah, because nobody – hold on. Let me take care of We're taking nope. care of some business right now. Hold on. There we go. Did it get rid of it? Yeah. Uh, sorry. Last question. Oh, I put it on the screen. <laughs> Going back to back or what you did last year? Because, I mean, last year, it's it's what they did defensively alone is something that you will probably never, ever, ever see in college football ever again. A team that almost didn't allow more than nine or the, a team that almost allowed less than fewer than 10 points per game. That's the type of legacy they left behind. But would you say – but? Back-to-back titles, first time in college football playoff history, yes. the amount of talent that y'all saw. Which one are you going with? I'm going with the back-to-back because of what you just said. Going back-to-back in – it has never been done. It has never done in before. And, and Georgia was looked at – everybody going into the season was going, hey, Georgia's just going to be your, your repeat of 2019 LSU. They lost so many players. The fact that you lost 15 guys to the draft, you lost eight starters on defense, and five of them were first-round draft picks last year. That tells me that you had to – it shows you what a complete team that Kirby has created at Georgia by recruiting in the top three for the past five years. He has made it to where you can have those guys leave. You can lose your starting safety, and all of a sudden a true freshman safety can come in, and and there's no issue. You're still running at full speed, and you're able to go 12-0 and for back-to-back seasons for the first time in program history. You are at a new level at Georgia. This is a level that you have never seen at Georgia. I know that in, in the 80s, Georgia went to three straight national championships. They lost two of them. They won the first one and lost the next two. This would be something that we have not seen in a long time to have back-to-back guys or a national champions. Dogs are 30-1 and one in the last 30, 31 games, and the only one they lost was the SEC championship game last week or last year. Thank you, Stan. I appreciate that. They are – they they've won twenty seven straight games. That's almost or, or twenty seven straight home game, right? Home games, yeah, or conference games or whatever it is. Yeah, that's insane. Or twenty? No, it's I'm sorry, twenty seven regular season games in a row. Last one they lost was to Florida in twenty twenty. Yep. This is by far the most impressive thing 
last year was getting over the hump of Alabama, being able to to stay at that level two straight years and be as dominant as Georgia has been all season. I understand that Georgia's had a couple of games that weren't your best, that didn't look as good as you wanted to you as a fan. Every week, you know? Kirby does not care. Kirby says, put a W in that column. Let's move on. I do not care if it was a close game. I do not care if we didn't look as good as you wanted us to. We are about to play for potentially the second straight national title. Yes, it would by far be more impressive this year than last year to me. And I think if anything, what winning another title this year would do is, you know, last year people want to throw in the excuses of saying like, oh, their two best wide receivers were hurt. Georgia is a fluke title. That's what was required for them to win a national title. You win two in a row. That's that's a statement. That's proving that that's telling college football there's a new top dog in town, and we're staying the top dog until anybody can dethrone us. And nobody's been able to. 31, 30 and one in the last thirty-one games. That's the type of level that we're on. Talk to us nicely, type of thing. You know, we won back the first team to ever win back-to-back titles. I'm in agreement with you. I think winning back-to-back titles would be the better, the more impressive one, considering how much you lost, what you what you had to overcome, like. All of the obstacles that you had to hurdle over. The fact that Georgia didn't even dip their hand in the portal this offseason to replace a single one of those players that declared for the draft. Not a single portal player this year. Kirby said, run it up with my roster right now. I'll take on anybody and we'll look just as good as we did last year. How about drop your nuts on that one? You know, that's what the <laughs> South Carolina – it's time to drop your nuts. That's called dropping your nuts. Uh, Everybody – Bama went and got players in the portal. Everybody in the country went scrambling to the portal to get wide receivers, running backs. Georgia very easily could have probably taken a wide receiver in the portal. And Kirby said, no, thank you. Well, and last year, like I, all of those stats we just talked about the draft, right? On top of that, Georgia lost quite a few players to the, the transfer portal yeah. that were contributors. No, they weren't their starters necessarily, but they were in there too deep. I think Brooks posted something about this. He asked this question on Twitter earlier this week was like, what do you do when a, a playoff contending team has somebody or players in there? They're too deep enter the transfer portal, right? We're, we're at, the transfer portal is open. Uh, coaches and stuff can't quite talk to them until what, I think December 5th, I want to say like Monday. Um, somewhere around that time is when coaches and other staffs and, you, and universities are allowed to actually reach out to players. So you'll see a lot of players potentially hit the transfer portal. The question is, do you see players at Georgia, you know, who are still in contention for a national title? Go ahead and do it. Now, I don't think you do at Georgia, but there are other teams out there that you might see. Like right now, I know Bama's not playing for a title or anything, but Bama and Tennessee, you've seen players start hitting the transfer portal already. And it, that's the stuff that well, – getting back to topic on it, though, is last year Georgia had people do that, not at that time, a year after the season. They had yeah, other they had players in their too deep, in their too deep left. And he still rocked with his current roster. So you I lost all a, those players to the draft. I just think that's incredible to think about what they've done this season with how much they lost, with how much they had to overcome. I mean, just so much of it. If they were to pull it off, they were to win another national title, <laughs> it would just be insane. So I'm in agreement with you. And I think that kind of wraps up that segment for sure. Guys, if you are still here with us, there's a good number of you guys still here with us. You guys hung in here for a long time, 46 minutes in. But if you could, do one last favor for us or two last favors for us. 
hit that like button if you haven't already. That really helps us get our videos out to more people on the YouTube platform. And also hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. You guys have been killing it there with the subscribe button. We've gained quite a few new people over here on the platform. We love seeing you guys in the comic session, and we're glad that you guys have been enjoying our content. So go ahead and do those two things for us to help support us. If you want to, you can go follow us on Twitter. We got our handles, Dr. Underscore J. Well, Classic City POD on Twitter, and also the Style Father do all that for us. If you could, that helps us a lot. It helps us continue to grow, and we're able to continue to bring you guys great content, and this platform gets to grow with you guys as well. More people to bounce ideas off in the comment section and whatnot. But that is going to do it for us. Glad you guys enjoyed it. Big weekend for the Dogs in the SEC Championship game. Could potentially be the second SEC title for Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs. And Stoddard, you can close us out. I just want to take a second real quick, too, to just thank everybody um, that has been around with us for a while this season. This year has been a really good year for us on the podcast. We've grown a lot over uh, some stats that came out today uh, that we saw through this part of the year. We've done 35 episodes, over 1,800 minutes of content that we've put out over this you year. You guys put up with a lot uh, of this. We've gained 63% of followers on our, our podcast platforms. That's not including YouTube. YouTube itself has skyrocketed even more than that, I think, over the past year because we have started our podcast uh, page on YouTube you know, early last year or mid last year, late last year. So it's newer on that part for us there. But we've really grown a lot uh, on that aspect of it, and we've really appreciated everything we've still got several episodes this year to go so i will say that you know with yeah, today we'll probably end stop, man. we'll probably end up with what i'd say 40 episodes this year I mean, and over 2000 hours or, or 2000 minutes i'm sorry of uh content we're this creeping year. up actually on our 100th podcast episode getting close we're, getting cl- we're getting like 80 something it. right yeah we are we're, we're creeping up on it yeah, there very we're getting slowly. there so that'll come up before we know it but yeah content's not going to stop and as always, we appreciate you guys for being here, supporting us. You guys mean the absolute world to us. And it's postseason football, man. It's exciting. This is prime content season. We're going to be here giving it to you every single Wednesday, man. We're not going to be missing a week during this time. Too much stuff to talk about like we did tonight. We're almost at 50 minutes. So now, Stoddard, I think it's time that we yes. close it out. Call tonight for the people. As always, keep it classy in the classic city. We will see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Classic City Sports. Take a second to subscribe, rate, review, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to reach out to the Classic City Sports crew on Twitter with any topics you'd like discussed. You can reach out to Jeremiah at The Stodfather, to Jonathan at Dr. Underscore J. Will, and make sure to follow at Classic City Pod for show updates. Check back next week for a brand new episode. In the meantime... To the sports, which expresses sentiments of the entire...